This is the TriDot Podcast. TriDot uses your training data and genetic profile combined with predictive analytics and artificial intelligence to optimize your training, giving you better results in less time with fewer injuries. Our podcast is here to educate, inspire, and entertain. We'll talk all things triathlon with expert coaches and special guests. Join the conversation and let's improve together. Together. Welcome to the Tridot Podcast, new episode today, and whether all y'all like this one or not, I am going to have a grand old time. I love traveling for a race. I think it's just the best way to get out and see the world, and today we'll talk through all the nuances of race week travel to help ensure that you have a great race, uh, no matter how far away from home your race adventures take you. Joining us for this conversation is pro triathlete and coach Elizabeth James. Elizabeth is a USAT Level 2 and Ironman U certified coach who quickly rose through the triathlon ranks using TriDot from a beginner to top age grouper to a professional triathlete. She's a Kona and Boston Marathon qualifier who has coached triathletes with TriDot since 2014. Elizabeth, thanks for joining us. Well, really glad to be here. Um, I've actually been on the road a lot these past few weeks, so I think it'll be perfect to chat a little bit more about travel. Good time for us to probably plug. We don't normally talk about where we're at when we're recording. Sometimes we record these um, in, in one of our houses. Sometimes we record these uh, when we're on the road traveling for races. And since we're talking about travel today, we are in Galveston, Texas right now, uh, sitting out. Uh, the, the, the beach is just a hop, skip, and a jump away. So beautiful view for us. So just had to plug that while we're talking about traveling. Right, Elizabeth? Oh, for sure. Yes. Uh, also here with us on the uh, on the beach in Galveston, Texas, is Coach John Mayfield. Now, John is a USAT Level 2 and Ironman U certified coach who leads TriDot's Athlete Services, Ambassador, and Coaching Programs. He has coached hundreds of athletes, ranging from first-timers to Kona qualifiers and professional triathletes. John has been using TriDot since 2010 and coaching with TriDot since 2012. John, you enjoying uh, Galveston today? I always enjoy Galveston. Uh, this is actually somewhat my backyard. I actually live only about 30 miles away from here, um, but it's we affectionately call it the sandbar out in the Gulf. It's a tiny little island, but uh, a lot of cool stuff and uh, a great race hosted here every year. So yeah, always good to be in Galveston. Well, I'm Andrew, the average triathlete, voice of the people, and captain of the middle of the pack. As always, we'll roll through our warm-up question, settle in for our travel-themed main set conversation, and then wind things down with our cool down. Lots of good stuff. Let's get to it. Time to warm up. Let's get moving. I say it all the time. I love it when we get fun warm-up questions suggested to us by the TriDot Podcast audience. And we had an athlete uh, submit his own voice uh, asking a, a great question for the podcast. Um, this is Mike Loftus. He comes to us from Midland, Texas. Uh, and he is going to throw out today's warm-up question. Take it away, Mike. Hey, TriDot family. This is Mike Loftus from Midland, Texas, fairly new into triathlons and training. Um, and already I've had a couple of pretty interesting experiences, whether it be a conversation where I thought something was being talked about and it was something very, very different than what I thought, or getting to the end of a uh, triathlon race and, and 20 feet away from the finish line, just puking in the parking lot and not able to finish for a couple of minutes while everybody watches me do that. 
Um, I've heard some experiences, and obviously you hear uh, some of the general wisdom, you know, never trust a fart on a long run, or you hear Reigns talking about letting it fly on the bike while urinating while on the bike to save time. And so my question for the panel is, what is an awkward experience that you have had, either you personally or you have witnessed, while at triathlon? Yeah, so this is a, a really fun question because um, obviously there's there's moments in um, all of our triathlon journeys that, that can be a little gross or a little different or a little awkward, to use the word that, that Mike used, um, that there's things like when you're amongst triathletes and you're wearing skin-tight, bright, colored lycra, uh, you feel like you fit in, and then all of a sudden on the way home from said uh, gathering of triathletes, you go to the grocery store or the gas station, and now you feel uh, really out of place and awkward wearing skin-tight, loud lycra, right? So, so it's just... It's a sport that makes sense in a vacuum, but uh, can get real awkward real fast, depending on the, the scenario you're in. So, uh, yeah, so let's let's talk about this. Um, Elizabeth, I'll start with you. What What is something that uh, what was kind of an awkward moment for you or an awkward thing or, or, or gross thing you witnessed when you were out on course? Well, yeah, I have to say there is a little bit of a learning curve, not only getting into the sport, but uh, with the language of the sport as well. And gosh, as, as that <laughs> clip was coming through, I just also remembered a couple conversations that I had when I was still a teacher and kind of explaining things to some of my colleagues. Um, I remember the first time that I was explaining a crack pipe and um, a, <laughs> talking about inflating a disc wheel and my principal walked by. So really had to explain that one um, as well to my Rightfully boss. So yeah, had to, had yes. to clarify what oh, you yeah. were talking about. Exactly. And in the teacher's lounge talking about the wetsuit strippers. So that was an interesting one too. Yeah. Um, probably not school appropriate conversation. Every, every, every triathlon has, has crack pipes and strippers yeah. uh, on, on site. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the story, like a personal story for me, it, it wasn't so awkward for me, but it was certainly awkward for the poor teenage kid at the aid station at Ironman Chattanooga. Um, it was a warm run. I was utilizing the ice at the aid stations as part of my cooling protocol. I asked him for a cup of ice, and after getting the cup from him, I poured it into my tri shorts. And the kid just looked mortified that I had taken this cup of ice and poured it in my pants. I mean, the poor aid station workers, sometimes they are fellow triathletes that aren't racing that day. And sometimes they're just kids from down the road, some organization, mm -hmm. and uh, they have no idea what's going on. And everything, uh, uh, yeah, like that can, yeah. can freak them out. Yeah. <laughs> um, John, can you, I, I want to make sure before we move too far past Elizabeth's comment, um, for any triathlete listening who is not familiar of the purpose of a crack pipe in triathlon. Please explain that one to some of our listeners so we don't just glance by that and not, not explain ourselves there. So that was going to be my answer uh, as well. That's the first thing that came to mind as far as awkward and questions and something we talk about. We, we share like a packing list and my packing list has crack pipe on it. And so that's always like, you know, it's like this to like calm the nerves before the race. It's, it's an like, attention getter. You know. <laughs> uh, so, you know, with a disc wheel and sometimes some of the older like tri-spoke wheels, um, the valve is in, in the, the carbon or in the, uh, the actual wheel structure as opposed to your typical spokes where there's plenty of room to, to get an inflator valve um, on, the, on the stem. So uh, basically it's a 90-degree um, adapter that goes in the pump, and uh, it, it fits in the, in the little hole where the, um, where the valve stem is on, on a disc or tri-spoke wheel, and, and it looks exactly like a crack pipe. You would uh, not want to have it like in your cup holder if you got pulled over on your way home from the race. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's, that's kind of been a long, long running joke. Uh, I had the same thought about strippers. It's always like, you know, if, if you know, you know, but if you don't, you're like, what the heck are they talking about with yeah. strippers and crack pipes? So, um, 
true true classic fun uh, yeah and, and my, my my first couple of tries were pool sprint tries with a pool swim and so i i was had been a triathlete a good year and a half before i even heard of wetsuit strippers right so yeah it's it's not uh not everyday lingo uh, unless you're in this sport so john what's what's something that elizabeth didn't share that maybe is uh, an awkward or different thing unique to triathlon so I, I think it has to do with uh mike mentioned being relatively new to to the sport yeah and I, i'm kind of on the polar opposite end of that spectrum i've been around uh a while and it's almost to the point like where for nothing um is, <laughs> is surprising <laughs> nothing phases you <laughs> <laughs> not, not really um you've seen you know, it all and the things you haven't seen wouldn't surprise you at this point if i haven't seen it i've heard it okay. um because triathletes love to share all sorts of things oftentimes uh sometimes it's too much oftentimes it's it's relevant especially as a coach um the, the information that is shared um is probably even more so than what some people share with their doctors and family members and that sort of thing and, and that's great yeah um but you know i think that uh perhaps has has dulled my senses to okay. awkwardness and uh uh too many surprises but yeah I, and i think michael probably have that same experience you, you hang around long enough and uh, you'll get to the point where Nothing is particularly awkward. Nothing is particularly uh, surprising or shocking. Yep. Um, so what the first thing I thought of here was um, the porta potty lines on race mornings um, because it's an interesting place because we're all there to do the same thing, right? We're we're, we're all there to poop. Like that's just uh, there's no getting around it. And we're all there to get that pre race poo out of the way. And um, th- th- there's a couple kind of awkward things that can happen d- depending on uh, y- what's going on with with the facilities and the lines and. I, I just I hate being the guy who who kills off the toilet paper and the porta potty that you're in because you've got anywhere from from a dozen to 40 50 people backed up in a line with a row of, of porta potties there you know that the person at the front of that line is excited to 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 get their chance and, and they're ready and they're it's ready almost for someone their to come turn. out <laughs> yeah it's almost their turn and so when you come out their eyes light up they start walking towards the porta potty and you have to announce to a group of 20 to 40 to 50 people that you killed off the toilet paper and this porta potty is no longer good. Now, of course, it wasn't all your fault that that toilet paper is gone. There was hundreds of athletes that came before you that contributed to that, but but you were the guy. You're you're, you're the visual representation of a porta potty that can no longer be used. Um, I, I hate inconveniencing other people, and I just I, I felt I felt bad, John. I did. I felt bad. You should. And uh, hey, guys, we're gonna throw this out to you. Uh, you know, Mike, Mike, the the Mike Loftus um, awkward moment triathlon. Uh, podcast warm-up question want to hear what what have you been through race days are long a lot happens a lot goes down what's something you've seen what's something you've experienced is there anything gross anything weird anything different that that really just stands out in your mind as yep i've been there um and, and, and this is my story uh find the post on the i am Trout out facebook group and let us know what you've gone through on race day maybe you'll surprise john mayfield with your answer maybe not probably not on to the main set going in three Two, one. Logistically, not every race we sign up for will be close to home. And whether a race is a few hours down the highway or on the other side of the world, once travel is involved, extra considerations need to be made to be ready to rock when the big day arrives. John and Elizabeth have traveled for many, many races themselves and coached athletes through races all over the world. And so today they will talk us through the smoothest travel experience possible when you're heading out the door for a far away race day. Um, so, so John, you are, are the most traveled of all three of us when it comes to race weekends, and, and you also cover race travel on your race recon webinars you do for every North American Ironman. 
What does a typical travel year look like for you? And, and what have been some of your just favorite memories from traveling for races? I could do a whole podcast on uh, favorite memories uh, from from those trips. And, and a typical year for me actually starts down here uh, in Galveston. Uh, one of the first races of the year is Ironman 70.3 Texas, which, as we mentioned, is is just down the road from from my home. So we start here. Uh, and then traditionally Ironman Texas is, is one of the next ones that's, uh, it's up on the North side of Houston. So another one, um, pretty local to me, it's about an hour drive, uh, from my house, even though I still travel, uh, just like any other race, um, to that one. Um, in years past, it's been somewhat of a, a Western swing going to, uh, Ironman Santa Rosa and then Ironman Boulder. Uh, we, we do a little bit of a break, uh, through some of the warmer summer months. There's not as many Ironman races, and then uh, the fall gets real busy with which more of a, a East Coast um, swing. There's races. Um, there used to be Ironman Louisville, which we're not. We don't have that one on the calendar now. But well, and and, and Santa Rosa and Boulder as well. Yeah, uh, no longer yeah. have the full. Yeah. So kind of switching up. But we have some new ones. I'm super excited about getting out to yeah. getting back to Coeur d'Alene. Um, now we have Ironman California. That's also up there in Northern California. That's similar to to Santa Rosa. Um, but we ended the year with uh, Chattanooga, Louisville, Maryland. Um, Florida, and then uh, what we've historically referred to as our, our big season-ending party at Ironman Arizona, which is um, a great experience. Uh, there's so many people come from all over for that race, and it's it's a huge turnout, very popular race. So, um, you know, we, we do similar uh, events and functions at each one of these races, but everyone has its own uh, kind of feel. And uh, each one is unique in the venue and what we're able to do there. Um, and and it's, it kind of mirrors the race in and of itself. So I, I always say every race is a little unique. Every race has its own personality, its own culture. Um, so we tap into a little bit of that uh, as, as I reflect on, on what are my favorite memories from these trips. It, it always revolves around the people. You know, we get to spend time with people, whether it's um, guys like, like y'all that I, I travel with and, and get to spend time with. Um, or if it's athletes and coaches that were out there on the road meeting, sometimes for the first time. Um, others, I, I, I have uh, athletes that I'll meet yeah. up with all over yeah. the country, um, and I haven't seen them since the last time we met up at the race, and I won't see them again uh, until the next race. And those those are always special, and I, I just I enjoy the opportunity um, to to get to meet people, to spend time with people. Uh, we get to see them go out and achieve great things. Um, one of my, one of my most favorite things to do is, is snap pictures at the finish line as these athletes are, are hugging their, their loved ones. That's always, uh, something that's super special. Um, just to have the opportunity and the privilege to do things like that. Uh, those are the things that I remember the most. So Elizabeth, in, in your Ironman career so far, um, in, in your race career, I mean, just, just looking at your four Ironman races, um, that you've done at this point, that they're all in totally opposite directions in the country, mm-hmm. right? So, so yep. I know you've been... <laughs> been well-traveled in your own race career. Um, you know, what, what are some of the places you've, you've gone to and, and kind of same for John, as, as I asked John, you know, what's kind of a standout memory or two, um, that, that you only, only have because you traveled for a race and and got out of, got out of the the comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would say that most of my travel is triathlon related, whether that be for racing, different training opportunities or supporting our trot athletes at the races. Um, and yeah, that's such an amazing part of the sport, getting to experience these new places and, and really just as John was saying, get to experience that with, with great people. Um, I mean, this almost seems like a cop-out answer, but Kona was, was my first thought. Um, that's, that's the favorite. That's the favorite. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and definitely one of the favorites. 
Um, but again, it kind of goes back to the people that were there. I mean, that's an incredibly special memory for me, just getting to share that race experience with my family. Um, it was the first triathlon race that my brother and sister-in-law were able to attend. Um, my parents were there too. And of course my husband Charles. So that was really cool just to share that with family. Um, another just fantastic experience was when I had the opportunity to Sherpa for one of my athletes in Alaska. Um, and actually John was there as a Sherpa for one of his athletes too. So Small both of world. us, yeah, I, got I, to be. I apparently need to find one of those athletes because I've never gotten to go to Alaska. <laughs> oh, it was, it was a phenomenal trip. And again, just, I mean, Alaska was great, but being able to be there and experience that with the athlete that was racing was just, uh, I mean, the best part of all of it. Um, but yeah, and I, one last thing, and this might be another cheater response. I don't know if I've fully answered the question here, but I'd, I've also just been thinking about the places that I want to race in the next few years. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to traveling to new places and getting to share those experiences too. Yeah. And obviously on the podcast, you know, I've been on all, all, you know, every episode I'm, I'm, I'm there, I'm on there. So I, I mean, people, people have heard, you know, the races I've done, you know, did my first 70.3 in New Zealand, did a, a racecation 70.3 Greece. Um, you know, but I've also, you know, we, we talk about Ironman so much and we talk about, um, you know, because those do often require travel, but I, I've even mm -hmm. had the privilege to, to travel for a few sprint, um, and, and, Olympic races as well. You know, having family that lives in Florida, I've done a few races with my dad in, in, in Florida, you know, flying the bike into Tampa or Orlando or Miami airport. Um, you know, got to do challenge Daytona with, with John, um, you know, in, in Florida. And so, um, I've, I've certainly also, I, I, I even flew to Nashville and, and did a super sprint, uh, with, with my brother, uh, he wanted to try it out. And, um, so, so I, I definitely, definitely want people to know, I mean, there, there are some super cool, sprint and olympic races out there um that, that that are in you know different corners of the world that, that that are worth you know taking the time and effort to to book accommodation and travel to and, and figure out how to get there um when i first set out to travel to my first my first race um i, I had this i had this mental mind mental mindset i had this mindset that in tra the, the further i traveled for a race the more travel i was doing for a race that that i ultimately was going to suffer my performance because of it. Like I, I just kind of had this mindset that you, you can't go halfway around the world and still PR. And I think the more I've learned about the sport, the more I've learned about the coaching side of the sport, the more I've been on the podcast with you guys, you can have a very good race halfway across the world. You can have a good race, you know, on the other side of the country, you can have a good race four hours down the road. It, it's, it's just all in planning properly, executing properly, you know, making sure you're rested and, and all that. And so you know, I, I want people to know the things we're talking about today are going to be all the ways that you can, no matter where you're going, how far it is, uh, and how hard you plan on vacationing, you can line up and have a great race anywhere in the world on any given day. So, mm -hmm. I mean, really just even think of the pros. Most of them yeah. are traveling in for Ironman World Championship in Hawaii. Yeah. Um, they have phenomenal races. Yeah. So I'll say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, great, great point. So, so as we talk about this, before we get real deep into travel specifics, are, are there any differences to the approach an athlete should have planning their travel based on the distance of the race, whether it's an Ironman or whether it's a super sprint or a sprint? Some of this is going to be determined for an athlete already based on the race event schedule. So for example, in most full distance Ironman events, athletes cannot, they are not allowed to check in the day before the race. So they will need to travel earlier than they may otherwise for a shorter distance event. 
um, beyond the required check-in dates for the event, there there is some athlete preference to take into consideration as well. You know, do you want to stay in your home routine and sleep in your own bed as long as possible? Um, or is that going to stress you out to get there the day before? You know, do you want to arrive early at the race site and just kind of know that you're there, start to get oriented? Um, just kind of as a rule of thumb for me, the longer the event, the earlier I plan to arrive ahead of it. Okay, so let, let's get into some just real specific travel questions. Um, and, and here's a big one. A lot of vital travel dominoes will start to fall into place based on this question. Um, how many days before a race should we make sure to arrive by? So it's really going to depend on the person, um, somewhat their their objective, and, and as Elizabeth, Elizabeth mentioned, the distance. Um, I absolutely agree. The longer the race the more, more prudent it is to arrive early. I would say the higher the priority of the race also, um, assuming that, that you have that personality, even as she mentioned too, um, if it's, if it's beneficial for you to arrive there, there are advantages of, of being there. So my rule of thumb, uh, that I use, whether I'm, I'm racing or, um, also when we travel to races for the Saturday races, we travel on Wednesday for a Sunday race, we travel on Thursday. So you have three nights, um, in town prior to the race. For me, I found that's that's a good amount of time. I can get everything done without being overly stressed, without having to pack too many things into into a, a short period of time. Um, and, and something else I always talk about is that extra time is somewhat of an insurance policy. Um, so things go wrong. Things get left at home. Things break um, in, in transit. The more time you have, the more ability you have to, to deal with those things. So... Um, if you forgot something, if something was, if, if um, perhaps there's a issue with your bike that happened when you were flying your bike, you have time to, to deal with that and you're not running around panicked the day before the race trying to get those things sorted out. So that time in and of itself is a little bit of, of an insurance policy. And as we talked about too, um, I, I love going to these races. I love uh, checking out these new, these new cities, new venues. So for me, if I'm going to go and do all this stuff, I, I want to have a little bit of time there, even if it's just um, spending time in the city. Uh, not necessarily doing touristy stuff or, or just taking in attractions. Just being there in town for me is, is enjoyable. Um, and it also provides time to uh, acclimate to, to the new city. And, and, and not necessarily, well, definitely um, that, that true sense of acclimation. There are, are things we absolutely need to consider. And I, I think this is probably in a whole, whole other podcast, things like elevation and heat and, and those sort of things, those yeah. physical um, acclimations. But just getting to know uh, the town that you're in, getting to know the venue. Um, that's going to be beneficial on race day, even when it comes time to uh, race morning, uh, knowing what how to get down to the race venue, knowing where to park, knowing what uh, traffic is going to be like. You don't want to figure that out on race morning. So the more time you have um, to, to do all those things, take in everything, really enjoy the experience. Um, but at the same time, there are those that um, are stressed out uh, by travel. It is an increased expense to spend more days. Uh, you're uh, typically paying for for lodging you're paying for for meals and food otherwise um so there are all those considerations so it really comes down to uh each individual and and i think that's a great uh conversation to have with with a coach or or someone who's been experienced and really find out what's optimal um for you but um i always recommend getting there plenty of time to take care of everything without being rushed or stressed um headed into race day so there, there are some instances where you will obviously drive to a race you know, and there's some where you'll obviously have to fly. Um, but for a race that, that maybe is kind of far, but maybe not so far that you have to fly, 
you know, what, what are the pros and cons to each method of travel? Or, or, or maybe a better question uh, along these lines. What, what is the travel duration that would prompt you to advise someone to fly instead of drive? Ah, yeah. So for me, if it's longer than two days of driving, um, then, then we'll start to look at flights. You know, if we can break it up into, you know, two days in the car, um, then, then that's probably still what I'm going to do. I, I don't pack lightly. Um, I mean, both John and Andrew have traveled with me. They, <laughs> they know this. Um, they're like nodding their heads now and probably rolling their eyes a little bit. <laughs> And, and, and I want people to know, Elizabeth, it's not like the the stereotypical like, oh, uh, Elizabeth is a girl, and so she's bringing more clothes, she's bringing more, more, you know, like like hair care. Like it, it's it's none of that. It's it's the gear. Yeah, it's it the is gear the gear, and it's the nutrition <laughs> is, uh-huh. is what she brings more of. And because of that, whenever we go out for a ride, Elizabeth is much better prepared than the rest of us are <laughs> when we're on the road. And, and shout out to Coach Jeff Rains. If he were here, he would be making a joke about my hair. Um, so we'd be remiss yes. if we didn't uh, you know, mention that. John's even has though more I don't hair like, care products than me. <laughs> John, John did, you, did you just dunk on your own hair? I, I, yes, just like <laughs> I'm so conditioned by Jeff to to do that. So, but yeah. I do. I carry my brush everywhere everywhere we go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like even for this weekend, I mean, we're here in Galveston, and my SUV is jam packed just for this weekend. Um, you know, if I'm driving, I like to have all my things. So Andrew, as you were mentioning, like. I've got my cooler of nutrition. I have uh, my Normatec boots, my foam roller, like all my swim gear. Um, so if the drive is reasonable, I'm I'm probably driving. So when we travel with Elizabeth, it's like a 15 passenger van. When it's Andrew and I, we get like a convertible Mustang and we get it done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wish that were the case. So I, I've even seen like on our Facebook group, and I, I don't remember who it was. So, so I apologize to this athlete if they if they're listening. Um, but like somebody even threw out, hey, I'm considering doing such and such race and it was like whichever side of the country they live on it was on the other side and they were asking the question is it crazy would it be insane for me to drive from where and let's say it was like california to to florida it was something like that polar opposite sides is it insane to do that drive and, and different athletes were giving their thoughts and different you know and, and stuff so so for elizabeth it's if it's reasonable you're going to drive because of the the ease of taking gear Mm-hmm. Um, John, with with your athletes and, and the athletes that you coach, is, is there like is there like a cap? Is there a ceiling where you're like, hey, like, it, I I as your coach, I I just advise you to fly at such and such duration. Not not so much uh, recommendation, but for me personally, my threshold is around 600 miles, which is kind of on the short end, perhaps. I I definitely like to fly. I like to hop on a plane, get there, be done. Uh, even though I do always enjoy a good road trip. Um, one of my favorites every year is, is driving to Ironman Florida, which is right at that. And that's probably where that 600 mile threshold comes from. Cause that, that is about 600 miles from, from my Cause, home. Cause when we drove out there, there together, um, that this past iteration of Ironman Florida, it was what? 10, 11 hour. Drive? Yeah. Something that? like that. Okay. So that's kind of um, your ceiling. So yeah, definitely one day I do not do two day road trips. Um, <laughs> but, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, Ron Brown, trial athlete, um, lives in Northern California, drove to Ironman, Texas. And, and I don't know how many hours that was, but I was like, Ron, that is a long way uh, to drive. And he agreed, but he did it. Because Ron and, is in California? Yep. And uh, he, he only outdid himself by later that year driving to Ironman Chattanooga. Um, so California to Tennessee. Okay. Yeah, and, and he Ooh. even agreed that uh, Chattanooga <laughs> was a mistake, that like he's not doing That's that. That's even too uh, much for me. <laughs> Uh, I can't imagine. Yeah, I, it's it's a two or three hour flight, uh, not a two or three day drive. So yeah. So, so the long story short, it, it it's really not it's not necessarily and more advantageous or less adv- advantageous. It's just what is your tolerance? Like what is your personal ceiling? Like make make sure you're not mentally 
taxing yourself by just being in a car way too long. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if, if you have a tolerance for a couple of days and you've got the time, it's it's not it's not the worst thing to do. There there are absolutely pros and cons. Um, and and yeah, I think it is preference. Um, okay. And and budget and there there are a lot of considerations, but there's definitely not a right or wrong answer. Uh, but but yeah, it just comes down to what works for you. And and yeah, it's great when you don't have to worry about uh, how many bags you're bringing and and having to decide which things to bring and which to leave at home. Um, but then again, it's also like I said, I, I enjoy time in the venue. So yeah. if I fly, I can get there a lot quicker and have more time. So with that in mind, for an athlete that has chosen to drive to a race, you know, driving a long way can can be fairly taxing. You know, d- depending on the circumstances. What are the best practices for having that drive take as little out of you mentally and physically as possible? Having somebody else drive. Oh. Um, <laughs> and, and maybe well, this is why my uh, road trip duration is, is a little higher. Um, I mean, if my husband is listening, he's rolling his eyes at me right now. Uh, he is such a trooper and does almost all of the driving to and from my races. So I, I should throw that out there that when I'm saying a two-day road trip, I mean two day two days of Charles driving you to yeah. the venue. <laughs> kicking my feet up in the passenger seat um I mean he's fantastic about just letting me kind of chill out in the front seat and so if that's a possibility where somebody else can drive and you can be in the car um that's definitely less taxing than being the one behind the wheel I, I think of uh, when we did challenge Daytona just this past year um, one of our athletes Caleb Chapman um who if, if you're on the I am Trotta Facebook group you have definitely seen pictures of Caleb Chapman's bike um, he's a Trotout ambassador. He um, has a Diamondback Andean bike, which is a, a massively aero bike. It's got a lot of carbon. Um, it has Trotout logos um, kind of customized into the paint job. He, he got a, a bike wrap with, with Trotout logos on it. And, uh, and so Caleb raced Challenge Daytona. Uh, John and I were there. You know, we, we met, met him, talked to him a little bit. Uh, but he and his, and his wife left immediately after the race to start driving back home. And he, he texted us a picture of himself. Uh, his wife was driving. He was in the passenger seat, just like Elizabeth, you're, you're saying. And he already had his compression boots on. And so he was in the passenger seat with his compression boots on, legs kicked up, enjoying his ride back home uh, after dominating Challenge Daytona. So, yep. Uh, so, yeah, a little different <laughs> in the passenger seat than it is behind the wheel. So, yep. a big consideration No there. compression boots while driving, just disclaimer. <laughs> <laughs> An important disclaimer. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, but, you know, it... Uh, if whether whether you're in the passenger seat or or behind the wheel, a couple other things that you can do are to take frequent breaks. So don't just power through that drive, you know, make some stops, stretch, walk around, make sure that you're staying hydrated, which is also going to force you to take those frequent breaks as well. Um, and then stay on top of your nutrition. I, I really like packing my own meals and snacks so that I am in control of that and I'm not at the mercy of whatever is on the side of the road there. Gas stations and uh, fast food doesn't do it, doesn't do it for you? <laughs> it doesn't work for me, no. No, no. I mean, great tips there. Um, really like that. So um, conversely, you know, flying, even being a little bit more time economical, you know, flying can even put a strain on us as well, uh, particularly the longer that we're in the air. What flying tips do you have for athletes hitting the skyways for their race travels? They're largely the same um, as as the the car. Um, so a lot of crossover. And I think these these are applicable to the road trips as well. Um, one of my favorites is is the compression socks. Um, there's something about sitting uh, in a car seat or on an airplane for a long period of time. There's a tendency to have fluid buildup in the lower extremities, um, which is not conducive to, to running race with heavy legs. Um, so compression socks can help prevent, um, some of that fluid buildup. 
um, in, in the lower legs. And, and that's, again, true whether you're sitting on an airplane or, or sitting in a car. So um, compression socks. And, and as you mentioned earlier, it's a great opportunity to, to be really awkward and stand out wearing your neon uh, yes. compression socks yep. through the airport while wearing shorts. Um, bring your own water onto the airplane. So a little bit different. I, I always advise this for road trips as well is, is have, have that case of water uh, in the car with you. Uh, it's a little more difficult or a little different on the airplane. You obviously can't bring um, bottles of water through security. Um, so either buy your plan to, to buy a bottle of water uh, before you hop on the plane or bring an empty water bottle. So this is kind of one of those tips from the road that I've learned. Um, many airports now have those bottle filler uh, water fountains. So uh, you can bring an empty bottle through security. And then once you're, you're past that, that checkpoint, you can fill up the bottle. Um, with it. There's just something about travel that, that tends to, to be dehydrating. Um, perhaps opt for an aisle seat or uh, it be be a little, um, I don't know, I, it's hard to say it's inconsiderate, but but, but don't be shy in, in asking to get up um, for those same reasons of, of not wanting to stay seated for, for those long periods of time. Um, and then it's a great opportunity to sneak in a nap. Um, so that's something we always advocate for. Uh, Heading into your race, get as much sleep whenever you can. Um, so it's, it's largely idle time. So if you can sneak in a nap, it's a great opportunity. So once you've decided how to get yourself to the race, you know, the next thing you have to start thinking about is how to get all of your gear to the race. Uh, the bike is obviously the, the, the big necessary equipment that can complicate travel a little bit. Um, what advice do you give your athletes on efficiently traveling with all of their tri gear? So the no-brainer for me uh, is is professional bike transport. Uh, we use tri bike transport for um, all of our uh, all of our trips, all of our races. Uh, they carry my bike to the races. They carry our gear to the races. So when we do our at the races events and, and we have our tent there, that's complements of, of tri bike transport. It is so much easier to let them do that um, than than that. And I I really. Again, I, I've been promoting this for years. It just makes sense. It's something that that I don't want to mess with, so I've I've always opted um, for that. But um, recently, in, in 2020, uh, it it was really solidified with a, a experience um, where because races were were kind of up in the air, uh, I didn't um, schedule trial bike transport for for my bike transport, and I opted to fly with my bike for the first time ever, and it was a mess. Um, it cost almost as much to fly with the bike as, as tri bike transport. By the time uh, I, I bought the bike bag uh, and paid the airline fees, I was actually over what I would have paid. And, uh, you know, they talk about relieving stress uh, and taking stress away by allowing them to, to take care of the bike. And I didn't realize how stressful uh, this was going to be from packing the bike into that bag, getting it to the airport, getting it through the airport. Uh, and then the hardest part was handing it off uh, to disappear to God knows where <laughs> uh, into the belly of that airplane and then yeah. seeing it plop out onto the conveyor belt, drive side down. Like it was and you just have like, no idea uh, what that no. bike has been through. And in this the last is this hours. is what they're doing like in public. This is what yeah. they're doing in front of me. So who knows what they were doing uh, with my bike and how many suitcases ended up on top of it uh, in the yep. cargo hold. And um, I did have some issues. I had to I had to switch up my my bars, I had to move my fit. Um, I had to hope that uh, I got everything back tight and nothing slipped. Um, my seat post did actually slip in transport. It was a mess. And, you know, this is something I've been advocating for years, but, but man, that, that trip straight up solidified. I am never flying with my, my bike again if I can do anything about it. So um, that's, that's really a 100% true story of just how I, I learned my lesson. And, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's a top tip for me. 
um, to to really let these guys uh, do what they do. They do it well. Uh, it's a huge convenience. It's a huge stress reliever. So if you're going to do one thing, do that. Yeah, and they, I mean, we, we perhaps, John, Tri-Bike Transport being the uh, sponsor partner of this particular podcast episode um, is probably the, the most organic and natural uh, podcast ad we've ever had. Um, so at, at the beginning of the main set, you know, we announced them as the, as the sponsor of this episode. Um, you know, they're a great partner company of TriDot. You know, we believe in their services, um, you know, for all the reasons you just said. Um, now, it, it's really eye-opening for me um, watching you go through that experience. I rode, um, I, I carpooled with Coach Jeff Rains down to Galveston, and he was telling me, um, I mean, he had a very similar experience flying his bike uh, to Challenge Miami for the first time and just got it there, and it, it came out on the conveyor belt, which is not supposed to. It's supposed to come out with oversized baggage, and he just had a lot of problems, and so he's having to take his bike to the mechanic on day one, whereas he could have been using that time you know, to relax and kick back and have other things. And I've flown with my bike. I've, I've taken... Um, you know, over a dozen individual flights with my bike, um, you know, all, all over the world, all over the country and never had a problem. Um, and so seeing you guys go through that, like, so I, I, I never understood why people get so wound up about, about flying their bike and stress. And, and, and I, I get it now because you, you get there. All it takes is, is one problem, one baggage handler, um, throwing it the wrong way on the something. And, and suddenly you've a lot of problems to deal with when you arrive to your destination. So, um, if you fly with your bike frequently and you're listening to this, if you have a travel, um, um, bag like I do, uh, I'm going to keep flying with mine, uh, w- when I need to, um, don't be freaked out. I mean, the odds are your bike's going to get there just fine. Uh, but it is a calculated risk. Uh, it is a risk that, that you're going to get there. Um, you know, my, my advice would be, and I always do this as soon as you get there while you're in baggage claim, while you're there at the airport, unzip that bag, take a look at your bike make sure nothing uh, a major happen to it in transit. And then when you get to your hotel, put, you know, don't, don't wait a day or two to put your bike together, immediately put your bike together, you know, spin the wheels, make sure the, the, um, gears are shifting correctly. Um, and just, just double check all those touch points to make sure that it got there, uh, without any problems. Because if there were any problems, like you're talking about John, like Jeff experience, you need, you need to get them resolved right away. So, and, and that actually is something that I learned somewhat the hard way is uh, I did have some damage to my bike and on the on the return home, fortunately, everything was was pretty good when I got there. I, I was able to raise with, without incident. But when I got home, um, I, I did have some and I, I went in a hurry. I took, I don't know, two or three days to call the airline and they informed me I actually had four hours after the plane landed to make any claims. So I was well beyond uh, okay. that. And, and then they also, uh, I had a high-end uh, bike transport bag, but it was a, a soft shell bag, which uh, also does not comply with their um, insurance or guarantee or whatever. It has to be, uh, for this particular airline, it was which was Southwest, uh, it has to be a, a hard uh, bike box. The soft bags are not covered under their policy. So wow. those are all things uh, to look into and consider and to be aware of uh, just to, again, protect yourself and protect your protect your baby. Yeah, and, and mine is a. Um, I, we didn't plan on camping out on on bike bags for a little bit, but this is the travel episodes. This is the time to talk about it. Um, you know, I mine is a soft shell bag as well. Um, so the the for anybody out there that hasn't considered buying a bike bag, if you are, the, basically the advantage of the soft shell bags is you don't have to take your par- your bike apart as much. You, you might have to to lower the seat post. You might have to scoot the arrow bars back a little bit to get your bike to fit in there, but you take the wheels off. The wheels go in slots on the on the outside of the bag uh, that that are padded, and then you just you, you just 
bolt the frame to to skewers. It's a it's a hard frame and and it it rides just like that. That's all you have to do. You don't have to take pedals off. You don't have to take uh, you know the the seat posts off. And so if you get a hard shell bag, there's obviously way more protection there. Uh, but you do have to disassemble your bike somewhat. So I am not mechanically inclined at all. So I opted for the riskier soft shell bag, knowing that it was just going to be a little bit easier for me to travel with it. Uh, but if you are out there, you've been thinking about getting a, a bike travel bag, that, that's in a nutshell the, the pros and cons uh, of, of the soft and, and the hard case bag. So um, do keep that in mind. So these days, there are a lot of options for accommodation uh, in the race host town. You know, folks can book a hotel, they can find a rental house, they can camp out. Uh, at, at a campground, et cetera, et cetera, just depending on where the race is, what should an athlete consider when booking their accommodation? For me, price is usually the biggest consideration. Um, obviously, the accommodations that are closest to the race site are going to be more expensive. Um, if you're flying in, you may want to weigh the pros and cons of having a rental car and how that would factor into your total cost of the trip. So the hotel might be more expensive closer to the race site, but then if you can get by without a rental car and everything you need is easily accessible from the hotel, then that higher accommodations cost may be worthwhile or even sometimes cheaper, yeah. more cost effective than if you're staying in other areas and need a rental car as well. Um, same idea kind of with the amenities that are available in the accommodations. I'll often look for a place that would have a kitchen area, which could reduce the cost of eating out at restaurants. So I'd say kind of look at the, the total cost, um, considering the flight, rental car, cost of gasoline, if you're driving the meals, if you're eating at your place or having to eat out a lot. Um, for me, there's, there can be a number of factors that go into this, but price is usually the biggest consideration. Yeah, no, it, it makes sense. Um, I, as much as I love the idea of staying in the closest hotel or closest accommodation possible, usually there, there's a race, um, an official race hotel that is really close, uh, often to the race itself. Um, the one advantage I love, uh, if you do go that route, it's more expensive, and, that, and that's the thing, is you do usually get the chance to uh, uh, to avoid the porta potty lines entirely. And so all those awkward moments you can have with the porta potty that I talked about, you can avoid that by having your own bathroom in your hotel room, uh, sometimes just, just a, a 50 yards away or so from transition. And so that's, that's like the one perk I really like. Uh, I, I think once or twice I've, I've stayed in an official site, uh, an official hotel close to the race site. Um, but, but, but yeah, you, you gotta look at the prices and I mean, Ironman Texas is an example where I looked at the official race hotel that's close to transition and looked at the price and was like, not worth it. <laughs> I can stand in the porta potty line for the price that they wanted uh, me to pay to stay there. So, um, and so, it could so. depend too, like on the priority of the race for you and and your comfort level, how much that's going to stress you out. For my first Ironman, I stayed at the first, or excuse me, the host hotel, okay, because I was stressed out enough about the whole situation, and so I was like, oh my goodness, this is my first race. Like, let's reduce stress as much as possible. Stay at the host hotel. Loved it. Fantastic experience. A little more expensive for that first race. Um, I have not done that for the other Ironmans that I've done. I've okay. gotten a little bit more comfortable with that. Been willing to stay a little bit further away. Kind of felt like I had a grip on what race week was going to look like. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that might be just dependent on your race priority um, and your experience comfort level. Yeah. And, I, and I've seen um, from, again, some of the sprints I've done that I've traveled for, um, you know, there's, there's been times we've been five minutes up the road from the race. There's times we've been 15 minutes away from the race and, and it, it hasn't 
for me so far, there hasn't been a distance away from the race that that has negatively affected, you know, our, the ease of our morning. Uh, you know, we're usually going to transition so early in the morning, there's rarely any other traffic out. And so it's usually within reason, pretty easy to get down to the race site. Um, John, is there a, a point that you would say is like maybe too far away to, to be a viable option? Or, or is it just kind of uh, up to you on, on your comfort level and how much you want to drive on race morning? Yeah, and, and there's there's a lot of things to consider in that. Um, I would say that too close um, can be an issue for some as well. This is something we talk about in our, our uh, webinars that we do prior to the races, is I always recommend checking out the Ironman Village um, on the first day. Check in early and check out the, the village. Um, get that out of the way because there's, there's a lot of really great energy there, but for some people that can be an energy drain, and you can get kind of caught up in that. Um, it, for some, it can be a stressful thing. And, uh, so I always recommend doing that, that early. So, um, for some, they may need a little more space to, to get away from that. Um, others may thrive on it. So it, it kind of depends on, on the personality and the individual. Um, it is very, very nice to, to stay very close. I've, um, I've been able to walk, uh, to, to a couple of my, even my Ironman starts, um, I was able to stay at venues that were within walking distance to transition. That's great. Um, there are others where that's just not even a, a possibility. Um, so it, it really depends on, on where you're racing and, and what your, um, what, what your needs are. But, uh, you know, the, the biggest consideration is you know, the logistics. Um, you know, is it too far? Well, it, it's relative, you know, it's going to take you longer to get there. Um, you know, there can be curveballs thrown in, you know, it is, especially if you're, you're leaving in the early hours, sometimes there can be road closures, freeways, uh, oftentimes if a freeway is going to close, it's going to be closed overnight kind of a thing. You would hate to be surprised on a race morning that, uh, the, the 30, 40, 50 miles you had to drive, uh, had a, a closure. Um, so, you know, those are the things to just check out and, and be aware of, do your due diligence, do your homework. Um, but as a rule, um, closer is generally better, but it's really going to vary by the individual. So kind of an interesting thing here, when you said, you know, too close can sometimes be an issue. Um, I once coached an athlete and the Ironman event was in her hometown and she was actually pretty close to the swim start. She opted to stay in a hotel the night before that was actually further from the race site than her really? home though, just so she could help kind of get into that race mode and separate um, so kind of an interesting thing so too. Just mentally, would it have felt like the, the night before an A race, if she was in her own bed and mm -hmm. she said not so, so much. she opted, she's like, you know, it's worth the hundred dollars to me to be able to separate, to kind of leave work there, be in a different place, kind of get in that mindset to race too. Um, so it, you know, to each their own yeah, and whatever is going to set you up for your best performance. I say this is kind of a kind of a B question. Didn't really speak directly to it, but I've, I've also encountered that uh, even like here racing in Galveston. I've mentioned it's thirty miles from my house. Um, when I raced Ironman Texas, it was just on the other side of Houston from my home. I felt like it was a different experience for me because it was that hometown feel, and it was great that you know I had more support there. I knew lots of people, all the local tri clubs that I know folks in. So there were some huge advantages and really cool things. But um, I also had a hard time unplugging because I was. Um, in a very familiar setting. I wasn't in a new place and, and I didn't have that, it didn't have that same feel of being someplace new and someplace detached from, from home. It felt like I was home. Interesting. Um, so for all the advantages of it, there, there was a little bit of that um, as well that I had a harder time uh, kind of unplugging, putting away the, the daily task that I, I usually do on a normal, normal time and, and kind of going into race mode. So uh, kind of that same kind of feel. Sometimes it can be too close, whether, it, whether it's 
uh, staying within uh, you know a mile or five miles from the venue. But sometimes there's also considerations of is your race in your hometown uh, versus somewhere else as well. So it makes sense that scouting the course and knowing the area around the race can be very advantageous to an athlete and their supporters on race day. What is the best way to kind of scout the course and get your bearings in the short time a traveling athlete will likely have leading up to a race? Well, I'm going to give a shameless plug here for the webinars that John leads. Um, I mean, in terms of scouting the course, being familiar with the area, even a month ahead of time, um, listen to the RaceX Race Recon webinar. Um, that's an awesome way just to get a feel for the venue that you're going to be traveling to. Um, John does a fantastic job of going through the course itself for swim, bike, and run. So even if you aren't going to be able to scout it out yourself in person before you arrive um, or only have those couple days, you're going to go in with that information already. Um, and, and that's a great way to just even get your mind kind of around what the course is going to look like. And then, and then when you do arrive, um, I always like to drive the bike course and, and bike the run course. So I have the opportunity to be on the course itself. Um, not necessarily, you know, in the <laughs> discipline that I'll be doing on that day. Um, but have the opportunity to see where are the hills, you know, where are the turns? What is this going to look like? Is it going to be shaded? Is it going to be full sun? Um, and then for the other things like the logistics, you know, the restaurants, the grocery stores, where am I going to plan my meals? A, a simple Google search does me a lot of good. Um, one resource I'll add um, that Elizabeth, I hadn't even thought of until y you were talking, but if it is a, you know, one of the major Ironman races or an Ironman 70.3 event um, or, or like a Challenge Daytona size event, um, we have within TriDot, we, we have kind of sub Facebook groups uh, within the Facebook group. And so there's a TriDot at Ironman Texas Facebook group. There's a, for all the, all the athletes that race Galveston, um, you know, the, the 70.3 Texas, you know, while we were here in Galveston, there, there was a 70.3 Texas Facebook group. And, and there's always a couple hundred athletes in these groups that, that, that are just talking about that specific race and, mm -hmm. and, and able to ask questions. And, you know, our coaches are often moderators in there and, and, and the coaches that have experience with that event will kind of share different things. And, um, um, so, so we have those groups and then Ironman also has those groups. And so there's an Ironman, uh, you know, Texas 2020, uh, one, group that I've been in and, and people kind of share things. And now you have to take the Ironman ones with a grain of salt because they are, there are thousands of athletes there and some of them know what they're talking about and some don't. <laughs> so, so know how to kind of filter, uh, but, but between the two, whereas obviously the trot out ones, we, we, you know, have an eye on them and, and, and see what's being said. But, um, the, an example of the, the Ironman ones benefiting me, um, is like I, the first time I went to do, uh, Waco 70.3, it, it was the year that the swim ended up being canceled. Um, and, and, and so because the, the water levels were just way too high in the Brazos river. And so there were some local Waco based athletes that were in that group and they were posting pictures. Hey, mm -hmm. so, so all of us are at home, wherever we live all across the nation that we're going to be traveling in that weekend for 70.3 Waco and, and, and wondering, Oh, well, how's it, how's it going to be? What's, what's it look like? And somebody was able to put, Hey, here's footage of the Brazos river right now. And you saw how high the water was. And this you is saw... probably why you're not going to be swimming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh -huh. so it kind of gave you an safe. idea yep. before you even got there. So, so there's often athletes in those groups that are from the, the, the race site that can kind of the week of give you a sense of what, what the weather's doing, you know, what the conditions are doing. Hey, you know, you know, bring, bring your cold gear. It's, it's going to be chilly this week. 
Um, so, so those groups are also a great tool just for kind of getting a sense from the local athletes on, on what the race site is going to be like as you get closer and closer. Oh to yeah. And the other things you need, you know, you need a bike shop. They can make recommendations for that. Yep. Great point. Restaurants, pharmacies, grocery stores. Yeah. So. Great point. Um, so in my humble podcast host opinion, exploring a new place is really a large part of the fun in racing away from home. And whether you find yourself in a new city or a new country entirely, you know, any destination worth racing in will also have other cool experiences to take in. So imagine you have an athlete on a racecation somewhere. Um, you're talking to them, you're prepping them for their race, you're helping them get ready for their travels. And they ask you, their coach, to help them balance their vacation load, so to speak, with their race preparations and ability to have a good race. What wisdom do you pass on to an athlete in that scenario? It's going to depend a little bit on their objective for the event. But as you mentioned in the question here, their ability to have a good race, yeah. if they're really, really targeting, um, you know, a, a good performance, I'd say vacation after the race. Okay. So, you know, before the race, I'm very focused on the event. After the event, then I'm all for, you know, finding the cool restaurants, checking out the sites. Um, might be great to be up and moving around a little bit, too, to get in some active recovery in those days following the event. Um, but if you're up and moving around, trying different foods, it can likely have a negative impact on your performance on race day. John, what, what about you? For, for you know, you, you have an athlete. They're, they're in a new city, in, in a new location for a race. You know, they, they want to nail the race, uh, but they also want to kind of take in the sights a little bit. You know, what, what advice would you give them in that scenario? Just be mindful of it. And um, every decision that you make, make with that uh, consideration. So, again, how much time on your feet? Um, what are you eating? And what, how do you handle those types of food? So uh, maintain a sense of normalcy as best you can. Um, but I think it's also important to... Um, Acknowledge those that, that get us to to the race start, those that uh, support us in that, and oftentimes those are the people that are are accompanying us on these trips. Yeah, and um, you know you want to make it special and enjoyable for them uh, as well. So sometimes it may even be worth um, maybe having ninety nine percent of of the race that you would have, but you spent uh, a day or two with the kids at, at a, an amusement park or something like that. And uh, you know, it's all about trade-off. It's compromise. It's it's making making it enjoyable and, and beneficial for everyone. So, um, you know, it's it's you can often question. You know, what is the true impact? It, it may not be anything. Um, it could be. You know, I, a day of of thirty thousand steps around an amusement park is probably <laughs> not the greatest thing yeah. uh, before a long course race. But you know, if you're making special memories and, and you're, you're able to draw on those memories the following day uh, in the race, then, then maybe so. So, um, you know, just be cognizant of it and, and aware and, and, and do the best you can. Tridot training always gives athletes training sessions leading up to a race. Uh, we talked a little bit more about why that is and, and what those sessions look like back on episode 79, rested and ready for race day. In some instances, an athlete might have access to swim, bike, and run options to, to kind of properly do these sessions leading up to a race, but in many instances, the logistical stars just might not fully align for us to get all of those race week sessions in. What would you say to athletes about how much to prioritize race week workouts in light of their travel situation? 
even the perfectionist that I am, I'll say that it is okay if the logistics do not allow for every session. Um, I mean, I've done a race where I wasn't able to swim in, in the week prior to the event. I've also done a race where the weather before race day just included a whole bunch of thunderstorms. So my pre-race ride was in the hotel room on the trainer. Um, you know, prioritize them as you can. Your body is used to movement. It'll feel better. You'll perform better if you stay moving during race week. But yeah, if those logistical stars, as you said, just are not aligning to get in every session or maybe every session um, as you would have liked it to um, in a particular time frame, it, it's going to be okay. Something I always forget about until I am actually in the host town a day or two, you know, or a day or so, or so before the race is what I'm going to eat in those key meals the day before in the morning of a race. Um, sometimes, you know, we, we may have a familiar option nearby, but other times we, we might not. So talk to us about how making food choices in a new location heading into a race. Some planning can go a long way here. I'll either look for accommodations with the kitchen area so that I can prepare my own meals, or if I know that I'm not going to be able to do that and I will be eating out at restaurants, um, I'll actually eat at the restaurant on some of the Friday evenings before the longer brick sessions, just to kind of practice that element of it as well. So, you know, order what I'm going to order, make sure that the meal I order from that restaurant is going to work well, sit well for me on those longer sessions, kind of as a practice of what it would be like on race day. To close down our main set today, you know, I would just love to hear, you know, a bit from your own race travels because we've given some very specific tips. Um, you know, John, you're, you're very well versed in teaching this to athletes both on the Race Recon webinar and to your, the own athletes you coach. Um, so, so it's been real practical today, which, which is great. Um, so just to close down this main set with, with some good stories, um, you know, what, what is maybe a travel lesson you learned the hard way um, through your own travel experiences? And, and John, let's start with you. So th this has happened a few times. Um, perhaps one of the most stressful things that can happen is, is getting to a race site and realizing you've, you've forgotten something. Uh, there's something yes. that you need, uh, <laughs> you, you think it's there or you realize I didn't grab it. Um, so one of my, one of my top tips, and this is something I always cover in, in those webinars that we've talked about is, is planning in advance and, and making lists. And, and I know Elizabeth will, will really appreciate this. She's, uh, this is one of the few instances where I, I really, I'm, I'm very regimented in list making and, and then executing on that list. So, um, I have a packing list that I share on, on all those webinars. Um, it's, it's a Excel spreadsheet so you can edit it because everybody needs different things. Um, and, and I really hype on planning in advance and, and being, uh, just kind of cognizant of what are those things that you're using in all of your sessions, especially your long sessions. What are those things that you have on your long rides, your long runs, or, or those A uh, priority sessions that, what are those things you need and want to have with you on race day and, and make list of those. So oftentimes when we're traveling, it's, that is already stressful in and of itself. Um, racing can be stressful. So now you're putting two stressful things together. Um, triathlon, three sports, you got you gotta have swim gear, bike gear, run gear. You gotta have things that you would bring for a normal trip anyway. So there's a lot of stuff to bring, a lot of stuff to remember, and it's super easy to forget something. Um, so what I do is I, I make a list of everything that I need, um, even including everything swim, bike, run, but the other stuff as well, just to make it easy and make sure that I, I don't forget everything. It's, it's a way that I'm able to reduce my stress headed into race day, which is a, it's a key um, factor in, 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 in traveling. Um, so make that list and then use it. Um, so I use it, uh, specifically when, when we do, uh, Ironman races, you have all those bags to pack. I have two lists. So I have the bags, I have a list that, 
um, of everything I'm going to pack to take. And then I have a list of everything that goes in those specific bags. So it's, it's, that's how I start my packing. I start with those things that are going in those bags and then that goes in the suitcase and then I move over to everything else. Um, so I know exactly what I have and what I need. And, and I'm, I'm confident when I head to the airport, I've got everything I need. Coach Elizabeth James, pro triathlete Elizabeth James. Have you, um, you know, had, did you have any, any major stories uh, of, of just something that you've learned the hard way uh, from your own race travels? This story isn't necessarily from a race itself, um, but because of this, it is now on my pre-race kind of travel checklist to make sure that I'm getting my car serviced ahead of time. So we were on a, a training trip and had major issues with our car. And so now I make sure that before we're leaving for a race, um, we're not going to have some unexpected time on the side of the road or in a town yeah, we weren't sure. expecting um, <laughs> because our car wasn't uh, kind of up to date on those service requirements. So that is now on the travel list um, and something I make sure I take care of. Kind of a lesson I learned the hard way. Thankfully, it was not for a race experience, um, but certainly would not want it to be either. Great set, everyone. Let's cool down. Well, we packed a lot of Try Travel Talk into the main set today, so I'll keep the cool down short and sweet. As host of the podcast, I truly, truly try not to talk too, too much about my own training and racing. You know, I'm here to pick the brain of some of the best minds in TriDot and the triathlon industry so that we all get better and smarter together. And as I do that, you know, obviously I need to use my own stories and anecdotes from time to time. Uh, so ever since we launched the podcast, you know, I've mentioned my Ironman Texas training several times. Uh, well, it keeps getting canceled. <laughs> so all of you, you know, keep having to hear about it. Um, so huge apologies for that. Uh, I was very pumped for the race to happen in April 2021 and absolutely gutted when it got shut down. I dealt with it. You know, I got back to the training and started thinking through what to do with my deferral options. Um, I, I actually made a Google sheet listing the pros and cons of all the races Ironman offered for us to do instead. I talked it over with uh, Coach John, uh, Elizabeth, and my wife Morgan and, and made a decision. Now, I never intended to make a big deal about that decision, but as our team has traveled around to the first few races of 2021, We've met so many athletes, and I, I keep getting asked what race I am doing now that Ironman Texas has been canceled for the year. Uh, so consider this, just my quick, low-key, mini LeBron James-esque, the decision announcement for which Ironman I've registered for to be my first and hopefully only Ironman. Um, I went back and forth between Ironman Texas 2022 in April in the Woodlands or Ironman Waco in October of 2021. Uh, and I've officially switched over to Ironman Waco. Not sure what the course is going to look like, but I love the city of Waco. My wife graduated from Baylor University, so I've spent a lot of time there while we were dating. I know the city well. I know that area well around the Brazos River where the race is held. Um, so I think it's going to be a great race. I think it's going to be a special race. And honestly, after going through uh, the race prep phase multiple times, um, after multiple cancellations, and after honestly seeing so many of you cross the Ironman finish line in my few years as a TriDot athlete, uh, I, I'm just ready to do this thing. I, I'm ready to take it on, uh, and I decided I, I don't want to wait for 2022 for my shot at Ironman. Um, now, of course, if you come across this podcast episode after the year 2021, hopefully Ironman Waco is done. Hopefully I finished, and hopefully there is a decent finish time for you to go find 
uh, if you look up how I did. Uh, but for those of you who are active listeners of the show at the time this episode is coming out, just know that uh, you know Coach John, Jeff Rains, Elizabeth, uh, James, and myself. You know we're just so floored by how many of you care about our own race schedules and performances. Um, the Tri Tribe is just truly the most supportive and positively engaged group of triathletes I've ever come across. Um, so thanks for your support. Thanks for always popping in uh, to listen to the podcast. And know that we can't wait uh, to get out to your races to support you uh, just as much as we know you are out there listening and supporting us. Well, that's it for today, folks. A big thanks to Coach John Mayfield and pro triathlete Elizabeth James for talking to us about traveling for a race. Enjoying the podcast? Have any questions or topics you want to hear us talk about? Head to tridot.com slash podcast to submit your questions or leave us a story for the show. Until next time, happy training. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe and share the TriDot podcast with your triathlon crew. For more great tri content and community, connect with us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Ready to optimize your training? Head to TriDot.com and start your free trial today. TriDot, the obvious and automatic choice for triathlon training. <laughs> <laughs>